Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Good morning, Bucknutters. Welcome to the Bucknuts Morning 5 here on Wednesday, September 8th, 2021. I am Dave Biddle. I am very happy to be joined by Matt Baxendale. Bax, a lot to get into. Let's start with what is somewhat bad news. Maybe it's really bad news. Ryan Day declining comment yesterday um, on three injured defensive backs. Him declining comments, not necessarily bad news. But Josh Proctor, Seven Banks, and Cam Brown. We know they're all dealing with injuries. Seven Banks, we know it's uh, a knee Josh Proctor got hurt in the opener, looked, looked serious. Uh, Cam Brown, I'm not sure what the injury is. I'm not sure if he re-injured his Achilles or if it's something else. You know, All three of them are hurt. Um, I just don't have a good feeling about this. I, I feel like Proctor's injury is serious, if I had to guess. Just your thoughts on, on day declining comment and maybe how concerned you are about that situation. Well, I'm most concerned about Proctor because, as you, as you mentioned, he got hurt in the first game, and it didn't look good. So. He's pretty critical. And the other ones we already knew were banged up, right? So Ryan Day never comments about injuries for policy. It's kind of his deal. But I'm much more concerned about Proctor simply because it's a new injury. You know, maybe Banks, maybe Brown were just dealing with some nagging stuff, and that's why they didn't play. And they're going to be back sooner rather than later. But, you know, the Proctor side of the equation is a much bigger concern because he's a guy who – by all indications, has lined up to have a really nice year. He started last year. He's one of the few experienced guys we have in a spot where we still don't feel superb about the about the, the defensive backs in general. Uh, you know, one game is was okay against the pass. You know, they did a, a decent job. I think Tanner Morgan only went 14 for 25 or something, which is, you know, a winning completion percentage in my book. But, yeah, if Proctor can't play, that's a huge blow to Ohio State because he was one of the few sure things we have in the defensive backfield. Yeah, I, I hope I'm wrong, and I hope you're wrong. That looked serious to me. It looked like it could have been. I mean, we're, we're just spitballing here, and I hope I'm wrong. It looked like it could be season-ending. I hope it's, you know, maybe he's just out for a couple weeks. Um, I, I would take that in a heartbeat. Um, so hopefully we'll get some good news on Proctor, Banks, and Brown. Um, yeah, maybe maybe two of the three will get some good news. We'll see, but it does not look good with Proctor. Um, Buckeyes favored by fourteen over Oregon in the horseshoe. High noon on Saturday. I cannot wait for this. I absolutely cannot wait. Seeing fans in the horseshoe again is going to be fantastic. The fact that it's a good opponent is fantastic. It's not some pushover. All right. So what what makes you most what makes you really confident about this game from the Buckeyes' perspective, backs? And maybe what are you what are maybe some concerns you have? Well, I'm confident because I don't think they're going to stop the offense. The reality is the highest State has multiple really good running backs, a massive offensive line, a quarterback in C.J. Stroud who showed his first game at least he can hit the big plays, right? 
for all the improvement that I think CJ needs to make and picking up some of these smaller little, you know, five, 10 yard plays, he's clearly able to find the big plays. So that was a big deal. And I don't see Oregon's defense, especially without Thibodeau being remotely close to full strength. Like it sounds like he's not, I don't see them slowing this offense down, plain and simple. Uh, my concern is going to be getting off the field on third down. We saw that with some issues the first week. And, you know, Oregon is not this, this isn't the explosive Oregon of the Marcus Mariota or the Dennis Dixon days that we're talking about right now. They're a team that struggled with Fresno State last week. So Ohio State should be in a position to succeed and do pretty well. But, you know, we've still got to see the rubber meet the road in terms of getting off the field on third down. When you're talking about missing what should be three of your starters in the defensive backfield, you know, that's a concern. You'll be playing a lot of young guys, a lot of freshmen, a lot of guys are supposed to be down in the depth chart. So, you know, much like the last year and a half, I'm confident in the offense and I'm concerned about the defense. Yeah, that's about right. Let's look back on the Minnesota game. Speaking of the defense, I think there were several factors at play why the defense didn't look good. I don't think they looked terrible, but I think there were – Three main factors at play why I was a little disappointed in the defense. Maybe a lot disappointed. Okay, so curious what you think the biggest factor was. Do you think it was Ohio State's personnel on defense, especially losing you know, Brown and Banks for that game? Proctor was played for most of it. And by the way, Bryson Shaw did, does look good. He'll probably move into the starting role now. In fact, he definitely will if, if Proctor's out. Bryson Shaw did look good. So was the biggest factor in the game against Minnesota defensively for Ohio State, was it Ohio State's personnel? Was it Ohio State's coaching on defense, or was it Minnesota being good? Well, I think the first and foremost factor is the way Minnesota came out with it, literally like a wall of meat with six and seven massive offensive linemen on the field at times, and the best running back in the Big Ten until he unfortunately is hurt and done for the year in Mo Ibrahim. You know, that's an attack that major programs aren't built to stop these days. That's the reality, is you're not used to lining up and just mashing head-to-head with that many big guys on the other side of the ball. The bottom line is is the defenses today are built, especially at the elite level, to get after the quarterback from the defensive end, to have the linebackers that can cover in space, right? They can handle the RPO. The old-school throwback that Minnesota brought out is just schematically different. We saw in the first half, what did OSU have? Four possessions? Because Minnesota was just trying to grind it like they were Army. And Ohio State got better in the second half being able to deal with that. So that was a good thing. Uh, now, some of that also had to do with, with Ibrahim getting hurt. But Minnesota was very smart in the way they came out and attacked Ohio State. So that's, that's number one. Number two, I thought the linebackers were kind of hit or miss next to Taraja Mitchell. Um, I thought Tommy Eichenberg struggled when he was in. I think Cody Simon was probably the best of the bunch next to him. But there was multiple times where with those, all those blockers – you know, we had linebackers just get eaten up, and the next thing you know, Ibrahim's eight yards downfield before anybody touches him. So, you know, I think that was a factor as well. I, I actually don't really have an issue with the way the coaches prepared for this game, if we're being honest. Um, I, I think that they lined up pretty well. Schematically, we never looked like we were at a major loss, right? It looked to me like it was a weird, clever way for Minnesota to attack OSU. And it looked to me like, OSU's defense either had a bunch of inexperienced guys out there or they were missing some guys due to injury in the defensive backfield. And again, Minnesota's passing numbers weren't particularly great in that game. So, you know, that's not the end of the world, I think. Um, I do think we need to continue to see improvement. 
especially against the type of offense that Oregon brings, which in theory our team's defense should be built to counter better than the, the, the strategy that Minnesota brought to the board with the great wall of, of, of northern meat that they threw at OSU. So I think at the end of the day, the personnel for OSU is my biggest concern going forward. But we're going to need to see the defense do its job once more and start to show improvement before you can really have much confidence. Because let's face it, this defense hasn't earned the benefit of the doubt from last year. And 31 points on opening day, it's still 31 points. You brought up Cody Simon. I like what I saw out of him, um, especially his first time getting extended playing time. He had the, the big sack, uh, had seven tackles, wasn't perfect by any means, but I agree with you. It's, those are the two top linebackers without question, Taraja Mitchell and Cody Simon. And uh, shameless plug, Bucknutters, uh, there'll be a story on the site uh, probably about an hour after we uh, post the podcast here this morning on Cody Simon. There'll also be video. He met with the media yesterday. I find it very interesting backs. They don't do things by accident over there, especially on Tuesday when it's the formal Ryan day press conference backs. We got four members of the team yesterday. We got Ryan day, Kerry Combs, Chris Olave, Cody Simon. So you have head coach, defensive coordinator, all American wide receiver slash first round pick and Cody Simon. That tells you everything you need to know about how they feel about Cody Simon. He's a, he's a young man on his way up. Speak more about Cody Simon. Well, he's important. Let's put it that way. You need to have some of these linebackers that can actually cover in space and tackle, right? And one of the things I was really pleased with seeing him was is that he wasn't getting eaten up. He was able to flow through blocks getting to the ball. And that's going to be critical for us to be able to find a guy who can consistently do that. And I think Taraja Mitchell is going to be one of those guys who's going to be consistent. But Cody Simon's a former elite-level recruit. He's getting on the field, and he actually seems to show some linebacker instincts. And that's a big thing to me. Because I feel like a lot of times Ohio State goes, that kid's an athlete. Let's put him at linebacker, right? You have to have the instincts to play linebacker. Otherwise, you're thinking trying to play linebacker, right? Like the example I'm going to give from, from now until kingdom come is Baron Browning, who should have been a rush defensive end his entire time at OSU. But we wanted him to be a middle linebacker because, ooh, he's an athlete. Well, it took him years to be able to figure out what he needed to do. He was obviously thinking a lot versus just playing. And it was only he only really looked great when he was attacking downhill. He was a miscast guy at linebacker. I don't think Cody Simon's that guy. Cody Simon looks like a linebacker. looks like he thinks like a linebacker. And that's a real thing. Even in this era where you're only having two linebackers on the field anymore, it's not like line them up in the eye formation and pound them, right? Uh, I think Cody Simon looks like he is legitimately a linebacker mentally as well as physically in terms of how he, he comes approaches the game. So I think it's a... I, I think it's a good thing that we have another guy like Cody Simon who's sort of popping a little bit right now. We need that in the worst way for Ohio State to have a successful defense this year, uh, particularly when you're talking about having so many injuries already. If you can get some consistency from him at linebacker, that would be a really, really big deal going forward for Ohio State. Let's have a little fun uh, to close the show here. I, Ryan Day clearly, even though he's not going to say it to the media, he clearly showed his hand in the second half. They're trailing at halftime against Minnesota. Master Teague does not get a carry in the second half. It was just Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson. Those are the top two backs, as we talked about throughout the offseason. Those would be the top two running backs on this team. They are. And I'm, I'm thrilled Master Teague is on this team. You need depth. You need a, a veteran guy like him. He's a tough guy. 
They're going to need him. I'm glad Marcus Crowley's on the team. Um, I'm glad Evan Pryor's on the team. I, I think he's obviously the fifth guy right now, but they've got a good top four, that's for sure. And they've got a dynamic top two. I think Mayan Williams is going to lead the team in rushing backs because he's going to get the most carries. But Travion Henderson, I think, is going to get more and more touches. So the question is, again, I think it's going to be Mayan Williams, but I'll pose it to you. Who's going to lead the Buckeyes in rushing this season? You know, it's funny. We had this discussion all offseason. And we're all like, well, Master Teague will get the first shot because he's the veteran. But, you know, over the course of the year, it looks like we think Williams and Henderson will take up more time. Over the course of the year was like a half of football. Ryan Day was like, all right, enough of this seniority crap. Here you go. Best players, get on the field now. Right? And, by the way, both Mayan Williams and Trevion Henderson had long touchdowns. But uh, Mayan's got a head start on Trevion because Trevion's was a screen pass, which I don't remember the last time OSU just threw a basic-ass screen pass, and it went for 70. So that was really fun to watch. I think, though, I've, I said it over the summer, and I'm going to stay consistent. I think Trevion Henderson's going to be the rusher by the end of the year. Uh, even with Williams having to head start. And the reason I say that is, is that Williams surprised me with some of that foot speed blowing by the Minnesota defense. Uh, that was like watching the, the year Mike Weber all of a sudden got fast. But at the end of the day, I think Henderson's more of the explosive home run hitter. So I think Henderson's going to get more chunk plays, whereas Williams is a little more power and grind. I think Williams is certainly going to have more touchdowns. But I, I'm sticking with Henderson to be the leading rusher. But the reality is Ohio State's top choices at running back when they're serious about winning the game are the two freshmen. And this comes back to Teague. If you watch that Minnesota game, there was one play he got a handoff, hit a wide open hole, could have taken it 20 yards, instead he ran right to the back of his blockers. That lack of vision is why Master Teague is not the top choice. And people who pay attention to these sort of things have all been saying essentially the same thing for a year now, which is Teague's a good, solid guy. You can win with Teague, but Teague won't make those big splash plays that make the big difference for you unless you have a hole the size of a school bus for him to run through. And that's not a knock on Teague. Not everybody has that vision. But Henderson and Williams, they clearly do, and they're going to be the guys for this team. Uh, no, no, no question in my mind, and I'm going with Henderson to lead the team in rushing by the end of the year. He is the people's champ. He is Matt Baxendale. You can catch his column every Sunday. It is the bucket. Thank you very much to Bax. Thanks to all the listeners out there for tuning in the show. We appreciate that very much. Hope everyone has a great day. Let's hear that Buckeye swag, best damn band in the land. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? 
and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 